0: Hey there, White Sox fans. It is Southside Sox podcast number 11. We're up to 11. And with me, I I think is my pal. I think we're going to be pals. It's Luke Smales making his debut on the Southside Sox podcast. Welcome, Luke. Thank you for spending some time with me here to talk White Sox offseason.
1: Yeah, happy to be on. Happy Happy to talk some White Sox.
0: All right. I did sort of promise you we were going to keep this pretty much Tony Lewis free, but as a player, and we're going to talk a little bit about your playing as well. Another thing I didn't tell you to talk about, but listen, as a player, I know you're not a millionaire yet. I know you're not a major leaguer, but can you put yourself in the shoes of the players a little bit? Give me a little insight into my, what might be going through some of these guys heads, especially maybe the younger guys. Um, maybe not just in the hiring, which clearly was, Odd and took a lot of people by surprise, but now knowing about some of the trouble, the DUI trouble that the White Sox were aware of, and still making this higher, what sort of message that might send? Or are we as fans maybe are we overplaying it?
1: It's definitely got to be a weird dynamic for the younger guys, right? Everyone's there's a lot of increasing media attention around the White Sox. You know, we're expect, they're expected to be a good team, and now you kind of have this distraction, and you're kind of thinking to yourself even now, well, how am I going to, you know, I'm going to be asked these questions. If I'm Aloy Jimenez, if I'm Luis Robert, if I'm Yoan um, you know, what are my answers going to, you know, I, I want to make sure I say the right thing, but, um, you know, I want to, I want to focus on baseball. I want to focus on this team, but, you know, you kind of have this lingering thing out there, you know, from a player standpoint, especially a young player, um, as a coach you, you, or a manager, you want to have him be kind of like a role model, you know, when he's, addressing the team or whatever you want that guy to have accountability you want him to um, you want to respect that guy so it's a weird it's a definitely a weird dynamic um, you know if if, if Tony La Russa is if they're on the road and Tony La Russa is like hey we're you know we're in a pennant chase and hey make sure we're being smart when we're going out tonight it's like okay Tony like <laughs> you as well you know <laughs> like that's when one um, of the players
0: uh, reaches over and takes his keys
1: right exactly yeah so it's just I mean for so many different reasons it's just a weird hire and like the the legal troubles that he's in is just like icing on the cake but um from a player standpoint you just kind of got to scratch your head and I'm like and be like why you know why are we in this situation
0: so are there any interesting tells I mean we've heard now from uh Jose Breu who actually was the first White Sox player to say Tony Ruze had actually spoken to him which was still a good 2 to 3 weeks uh post hire I believe Tim Anderson, I think Scott Merkin uh, was in touch with Tim, and Tim had reported, uh, acknowledged, and anticipated pretty much talking to Tony and saying, you know, and it, it sort of telegraphed that conversation anyhow, he but I guess he has actually made contact. Um, but maybe more specifically, the reaction uh, that we've gotten from Aloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, and Tim Anderson in terms of uh, what seemed to be their openness, I understand they're in a spot where they pretty much have to say, hey – we'll see how it goes. Looking forward to it. He's a hall of famer, but there's things that can be conveyed in what you maybe don't say as well. Did you take anything from, from what they've said in some of the video you may have seen, or is it just pretty much par for the course type of stuff that you'd expect to hear?
1: Yeah. I, you know, at this point, they're obviously not going to have a lot bad to say about La Russa. You know, they're going to be supportive of kind of what the thing they got going on in the field right now. Um, I think a lot of them had good relationships with Ricky Renteria, um, I think, you know, kind of seeing him as a father figure. I know, um, I know for a fact that some of the veteran players were not too crazy about some of the things that he employed from a coaching standpoint, kind of his baseball style, so to speak. Um, and, you know, aside from LaRusso's stuff off the field, it seems as though, you know, you've heard guys like Albert Pujols kind of rave about Tony LaRusso and his time that they were together. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think you can take a lot of stock yet, and especially when, when they haven't been around each other, some of the, you know, Loy Jimenez and other guys, um, it, it's kind of hard to say what their reaction is without just kind of like their, their media speak. Um, so I don't, I don't think we can, once we hopefully get into a normal spring training and, and normal games coming up, I think, you know, they'll be able to get a feel of what, how, you know, the kind of shift that the was going to run and we can kind of take more stock in their, their opinions on how things are going.
0: Now we've got a whole mess of meet the players that we sort of have backlogged or never really ran on Southside Sox. Luke Smales is one of them. We're going to be learning more about him, but it's a little bit of a sneak preview. Luke, among a couple of people on staff, Trevor Lyons uh, was a, was a player uh, down, I think, at Bethune uh, College or University. Um, uh, but Luke is a current player playing for Col College. Go Cohawks! Uh, <laughs> outfielder, I believe, number four on your scorecard, yep. number one in your heart. Yep. Uh, what's the status on the season for you guys? Do you have any insight yet about whether or when you may be playing?
1: Yeah, so uh, we actually just got some announcements um, regarding our conference's winter sports. So my thing was kind of saying, okay, let's see how basketball and volleyball and that stuff kind of turns out, and then it'll kind of be a decent precursor. So they're doing kind of an abbreviated just conference schedule. You know, I kind of predicted they weren't going to have us traveling a lot, um, you know, staying in hotels getting on flights, stuff like that. But, you know, in Iowa, if you're not going south at all, it's kind of hard to play baseball outside until, you know, mid-March or April. So that's going to probably condense our season in itself. Um, But being that I was supposed to play my last season this past spring and graduate, um, you know, anything's better than nothing. So I'm excited for whether it's 10 games, 15 games. um, If we just have to play in the state of Iowa or in the Midwest, um, that's fine with me, but, um, in terms of solid schedule, uh, no, we don't know a whole lot yet.
0: All of us who grew up playing at any level uh, mm-hmm. in the Midwest knows, and I'm yeah. praying for you, uh, Luke, that we at least have a good weather year so that the right. typical, uh, snow outs or, uh, snow out, a double header or triple header, right. <laughs> uh, or tornado, uh, tornado watch right. cancellations. Yeah don't happen to you this year because yes you do deserve uh, come on at least a handful of games well
1: well in Iowa too I mean even on top of the COVID stuff I know I'm sure you heard about like the derecho the bad storms that they had a couple months ago um we took some damage on our field to that too so it was just like a compounding issue um but but yeah we just hopefully we get we get something going here um this spring
0: Okay, as a, as a seg then into what our main chunk of this podcast is going to be, which is White Sox hot stove type talk. I just got to ask you: Do you play any right field?
1: Um, <laughs> mostly left field, but I have made a couple appearances in right field. I am a left-handed hitter, so I can not tune with Adam Engel if they're if they're needing right. a lefty. Um, so I'm just waiting for the call.
0: So you're saying there's some hope? There's a chance.
1: Yes, Excellent. I was draft eligible this past spring. Um, it was probably the five-round draft that didn't get me picked.
0: So. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, just going <laughs> to jump. I mean, a good chance, what, they're quadrupling it to 20 rounds? So, I mean, you know. Yeah, hey, mm-hmm. you, you right. never know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if the if the White Sox drafts, say, 17 right fielders or outfielders. Yeah. There's yeah. a chance. Local kid. There you go. You know, that's yeah. good. Well, let's start in right field then. I think one of the things that was most compelling about the article, and I will um, link it in this podcast uh, piece as well, in case people did miss it, in your off-season plan and something we ended up taking, stealing, cribbing uh, out of somewhat desperation, but also because you tipped us off to it, was Signing Robbie Grossman in the SB Nation, surprisingly enough, in the SB Nation simulation, we managed to snag him at I believe half the price that you were willing to pay for him in your off-season plan. But let's talk. Let's start in right field because it's a desperate situation with the White Sox at this point. Uh, the lineup is strong, but right field is just a black hole with no internal solutions of of great improvement, um, of great optimistic prospect or projection. Um, so the White Sox are going to have to go somewhere. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on George Springer in a second, but let's let's talk a little bit about Robbie Grossman, who doesn't probably excite many people. But I think what catches me in your write-up is this is a guy who has improved, has capability to improve defensively and at the plate, and that's something that's got to be exciting when you're having to take, you know, a bit of a flyer on a guy.
1: Yeah, he's just kind of an unsung guy. He, um, he made a lot of improvements with Oakland from his Minnesota and Houston days. Um, he's a switch hitter. He's a good outfielder. Um, he's willing to take a walk and he puts the ball in play a lot. He's not a big strikeout guy. Um, and those latter two qualities, I think are things, um, and I, that's why I think Yasmani Grandal from an offensive profile was so nice to add to this lineup. You know, guys that are willing to, you know, prolong at bats and take walks and, and get on base and turn the lineup over, I think is big, especially when the bats go cold. Um, I really like his, I like his defense in the outfield. Um, last year he was in the 94th percentile of, of, outfielders by stat cast outs above average. Um, he, he made, uh, really big improvements as a, as a left-handed hitter. Um, he was more known as a kind of a weak side platoon guy. He was much better as a, as a right-hander with Minnesota. And then, um, whatever work Oakland did with him, uh, last year he had a 370 Woba and a 140 weighted runs created plus, uh, both well above average as a left-handed hitter. So, and he tapped into some power too. Um, He had a career high ISO. He had, um, I believe he was on pace to set, uh, he was on pace for career high home runs. So I just think um, from, you know, if they weren't going to get George Springer, I think there's a lot of qualities in Grossman that kind of relate to Springer. So if Springer gets plucked away from some exorbitant amount, I think Grossman would be a a good option.
0: Uh, And it would be, Long since past time, this would be a free agent signing out of trade, but for us to get something from Oakland instead of just giving to Oakland for (laughs) God's sake, does Grossman have the arm uh, to handle uh, right field in your eyes?
1: He has mostly played left. Um, I don't know a ton about his arm, um, but I, you know, there's nothing telling me that he wouldn't be able to handle right field. He has played right field before. Um, I think, I don't have the number in front of me, but he has, I remember saying that he has appeared there. Um, All I know is that he did really well and left. He was, he used to be, that's another interesting thing is he used to be one of the worst outfielders in baseball um, by StatCast. And so he's shown the ability, the, you know, the ability and willingness to make adjustments and improve in certain areas. So I think that's a good thing uh, from a coaching standpoint that you like to see out of a guy. Um, And You know, I think he can be had at a two-year deal, depending on what this market is like, maybe a one-year deal with an option. So, yeah, I don't, don't, there's nothing that tells me he can't handle
0: right. Maybe the defensive improvement alone is something that could rub off and perhaps rub off on the other corner because let's flip over to left field where Aloy Jimenez is the incumbent. Although a lot of people, myself included, I think a lot of people maybe are willing to end that experiment with him in the outfield. Not so much because he's, below average or even if he was average but the fact that he presents he really honestly does I think present and I was a guy who was on board with him being a guy who could be average or even better than average I saw a couple instinctive plays he made early on uh, catch and throws back into the infield plays off the wall off the wall shockingly enough is uh, I guess his rookie year, 2019 that made me think as a young guy he can improve I'm willing because of what him being on a lineup does to the offense to say it might be time, especially now that Ricky Renteria is not really there to cover for him now um, or encourage him, however you want to look at it. Um, First of all, is he a guy you think his time should be short in the outfield? And let's just talk about him as a left field prospect, because if he's not in left field, that changes the dynamic of this outfield as well.
1: Yeah. Um, having a bad defensive left fielder is not necessarily, it doesn't kill your team. The problem with Aloy is that he's literally hurting himself playing left field. And that's happened like two or three times now. And that can't happen. His back can't be in the lineup because he's, you know, concussing himself running into walls or, or flipping over rails or, you know um, it's, it's just bad. The thing with the Sox is, as long as they have a Breu and, you know, everyone's talking about Andrew Vaughn kind of sliding into that DH role, there's not a ton of flexibility there, which when I talk about right field, that's why I think having a, at least at the very least, an average defensive right field is so important because given what you have in left field. Um, I think the long term, in the long term, maybe after a Breu um, is no longer with the team, I think he's definitely going to be a DH. Um, they would like to, postpone that as long as possible but I mean we saw this in Toronto kind of with Vlad Guerrero Jr. They were trying to keep him at third for as long as possible and that lasted about a half a season they're like we have to move him to first base there's just no way we can cover for him at third Um, so yeah and unless they trade Andrew Vaughn I think we're going to see an, at least another full season of him in the left field. And we'll see how that goes. I mean, having a guy like Robert in center helps. And if we have another good defensive right fielder, that'll help too. But the hope is that he can get you through seven innings and hopefully the team's winning and then you can throw Angle out there or draw Dyson or whoever you want to put out there.
0: I was so eager to insert my uh, lame mildly humorous comment about improving Eloy's defense that I did skip right out of right field and ignore George Springer as an option and I'll be honest I'm mixed about this if the Sox are even um I won't say the team to beat, even a major player for Springer at the price he's probably can command even in what seems like a shaky market for for, for once some valid reasons given the pandemic um do you think the Sox are major players? Should they be major players? Is there a point where the money becomes a little stupid? Um, or if you're paying 25, 30 million a year for a guy with perhaps perhaps what Springer can bring to the team, is that worth it? Because obviously it's an overpay if you can get Robbie Grossman at, at eight million, let's say?:
1: Yeah, um, there's definitely money to spent be spent, and Springer is a great player. I don't think it would be a necessarily a bad signing or signing, but I, I don't know if I would necessarily get into a bidding war. I think the value, a lot of value with Springer is that he can play center field. And I think there is going to be a team that's going to look at him and say, we need a center fielder. You know, we don't have a Luis Robert in center field. So I think like, I think the Mets might be a team. They have a lot of lefty outfielders and I think they might value him in center field. Um, He does a lot of things you like. As I said with Grossman, he's willing to take a walk. He doesn't strike out. I think he's had like a sub-20 strikeout rate most of his career. Um, He is going to play a capable center field, and he's going to probably give you close to gold glove defense in right field, at least in the first couple years of the contract. The worry, obviously, with any of these long-term deals, when you're giving a 30, 31 year old, I think, I think he's 30 now. um,
0: They're 30, 31, yeah. Is going
1: to be that fourth and fifth year of the contract, which Mm -hmm. when you're a contending team and you're looking to make those moves to put you over the top, you kind of have to, you kind of have to eat those years. That's just something that's going to happen. Um, I don't think it's a bad site, would be a bad signing, but I just think that the starting pitching holes, I think are just so much bigger that I think, And this changes a little bit with Strowman and Gossman being off the market, but my instinct would say you've got to address pitching first and then go right field. But if there's going to be, if there's a hundred million dollar contract to be spent this year, I mean, even though Springer's a right-handed hitter, I don't think it's going to be, it wouldn't be a bad signing.
0: Yeah. I think the attitude I took um, uh, helming with your help and Tommy Barbie's help sort of as our little front office this year was I think sort of how you outlined it was if, if the market somehow is soft, if there's a way to sneak in there, um, sure, throw a bit out. But yeah, a bidding war, uh, again, as not just from a fan and analyst, but even just from a player standpoint, does the uh, the stink of the trash cans scandal have any effect on how you look at uh, Springer coming to the White Sox and expected, presumably for $25, 30000000 million a year to be a leader?
1: Well, I think one advantage the White Sox would have would be having Dallas Keichel and kind of, you know, vetting Springer through him and saying, um, you know, what's this guy like? Um, you know, obviously Keuchel was part of that team too. Um, I think Springer has definitely gone about it maybe better than Altuve, Bregman, and Correa have. I mean, it seems like he hasn't been kind of caught up in the controversy Whoa. of, of a lot. Um,
0: he's known to shut he, up, perhaps. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> And maybe he's been wise by doing that, um, but you know, there's been some studies about how much each guy like really benefited. You know, there was somebody that went through and actually looked at all the trash campaigns and kind of did the math and figured it out. I don't know where Springer fell in that, um, but I'm sure he was complicit in the whole process. And that's something that, um, you know, you don't. It, it isn't ideal, but we just hired Tony Larusa. Um and we you know, it's like are this is we? we have to say. This oh
0: god.
1: It's like it's like are we gonna are we gonna nitpick that?
0: It's, and you know, it's funny, let's let's talk about Keikel here for a second because he's yeah. a guy who was very briefly uh asked about it at SoxFest. I don't think mm-hmm. it ever came up again. And given what we know now that he was sort of the he, he seemed to be, you could argue, I think if you read between the lines, an anti renteria guy. Maybe anti is too strong, but I don't think he was mm-hmm. excited having Renteria. And as the guy who seemingly was the one who sort of led the turnaround that pushed this team to the playoffs, so he's got this, and he's old school. So, uh, you know, he, he's great with the media uh, in terms of giving very you know, relatively honest answers, speaking from the heart. So, in a way, he is really skated. He skated early because people just barely touched at it at the promotional. Uh you know, orgy that is you know socks fest, mm-hmm. so you're not gonna hammer a guy uh there. But, you know, then certain, I guess the nature of the season meant you sort of skate there, too. And uh, No one's really ever pressed him, though, of course, he didn't have a, a bat on his shoulder. Uh, but obviously, Dallas Keuchel benefited, sideways or not, from, from the scandal there. And it's just, it's just sort of interesting. You know, it, it, we can't really name check him without acknowledging, hey, this is a guy who was part of that. And, and you know, it's, it's never really come up. It's not going to come up. And now he really does have this almost leadership. He's almost ace 1A to G. just because he has that leadership where where these young pitchers are looking to him you know for guidance. Let's hope he's given the right guidance given what some of his background is uh, going back to Houston.
1: Yeah it's it's uh it's it's definitely it's a weird dynamic. Um if they brought in Springer, I mean they're gonna have to be answering questions about uh La Russa. They're gonna answer questions then it'd be about Springer too. And it's like what you know, hey guys, we're also supposed to be really good this year. Maybe if we bring Springer in, we're going to be one of the AL favorites. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's another storyline, but um, I think it, it could be worth it, you know? And that's where I think, you know, I don't know how much Keiko would tell you, but if you're Rick Khan, if you're guys in this front office, are they, are they going to be asking Dallas, Hey, you know, what was his role in this? Um, what, you know, how, did he, turn a blind eye. Was he vocal in like going to Alex Cora in the dugout and saying, you know, make sure you're banging the trash can when I'm up to bat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so maybe he could give you some insight there, but that's obviously probably not something you're sharing with the media, but, um, I don't know. We'll just have to see, um, with again, how this connects to LaRussa, you know, LaRussa, people talk about his controversy with the steroid era too. So it's like, yeah. you know, how, how, how would you involve him? You know, hey, Tony, how, how do you, how would you feel yeah. about bringing in George Springer? How would you feel about the situation?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's another, it's another, um, chance to put La Russa in front of the camera and pray to God he says the right thing about the whole situation.
0: (laughs) Yeah a lot a lot of you know a lot of readers uh you know we did certainly get comments on on some of our coverage of A.J. Hinch and the the possibility of him being the manager and apparently perhaps being Han's uh, target before that all got pulled out from under him um and you know he got hammered pretty good by uh you know uh at least a a couple writers on staff but I, you know, I hope we were good in mentioning in all of this with Tony that you can't skate by and call, okay, so the the, the cheating was more recent with Hinch? Right. I mean, La Russa. Right. You know, again, in almost a way that is unseemly as Hinch did, where he really sort of threw guys under the bus and then pretended like he didn't have the power and, you know, pretty, no offense, but pretty weasely. You know, Larissa pulled that same trick too, like, oh, I wasn't aware yeah. of anything. And then, and then, you know, I think he's come out since, you know, I don't know, this century at least and said, yeah. you know, oh, hey, yeah, you know, we had to talk about it or what, but yeah, okay, well, you know, you're wearing one ring, and you won three pennants. um, And and not only pretending it wasn't maybe going on, but, you know, sort of actively, you know, denying or acting like, huh, you know, what, what is this thing you're talking about? And, and, you know, he's, it's a different sort of cheating. But, you know, we can't pretend that, you know, that that one is that they're that different, because, you know, they they really aren't. So Uh. yeah, it's
1: definitely Yeah, like I said, it's gonna be it'd be a storyline bringing in Springer. Um, it'd be it's another thing for LaRusso to have to answer to so he's going to have a lot on his plate um, aside from coming back to baseball after a nine or ten year absence and you know the spotlight's going to be on him from day one of spring training so it'd be interesting to see how he'd handle that that another curveball into the equation.
0: Luke we're trying to stay away from Tony LaRusso but he's just the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Yeah because he, he impacts so many different you know part you know aspects of this season we're supposed to be excited about this being like kind of the golden decade of white Sox baseball and we're just kind of hit with story. this like it's just it's it's unbelievable um and like we said i mean you know members of south side socks that we talked about you just feel so bad for everybody not named jerry kind of in that organization that's that's uh, that has to deal with all you know this kind of firestorm of of having to deal with all this
0: so there's, there's a, there's a screen playing this somewhere, Luke, but right, uh, yeah. all right, we're going to continue going around the diamond here, but we're going to step out and take a break here for just a second. We will be back talking more perspective, hot stove action with Luke Smales. All right, we are back. It is podcast number 11 at Southside Sox. I got Luke Smales here with me. Ball player for Coe College. Go Coe And we are talking, uh, this guy has been on top of with a terrific off-season plan. And if you haven't read some of his stuff at Southside, hit Ben both when we were at uh, Sports Illustrated, of course, and now here at Southside Sox. Terrific, terrific analysis. You're going to really love his stuff. Going throughout the off-season and certainly into next season, uh, really drilling down great on guys and giving you analysis. You're not really going to find anywhere else in the White Sox uh, blog writing world and you're going to have to go to places like Fangraphs to catch stuff that good. So definitely bookmark in your brain. Uh, Luke and check his stuff out because it's really terrific. Uh, we touched Luke. Uh, we just briefly sort of breezed past. It's a great problem to have Andrew Vaughn because Andrew Vaughn by all stretches could have been a guy who even got himself a, a cup of coffee last year. It seemed like he was right on the cost. One injury or I guess there were slumps, but uh, somehow maybe a reason uh, Ricky's not back. I don't know. Uh, Didn't really get – didn't get to play for the White Sox. It seems like he's a guy, from everything Rick Hanna said, this guy could very realistically break camp with this team. As you pointed out, where? They've done the situation where, I don't know, he played a little right field. He was dancing over at third base, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know if left field is realistic, especially given that you have now assured us that – and bad defensively in left field providing you don't get caught in the netting like a large tuna and and kill yourself um you know it maybe isn't the worst thing so maybe left field's yeah. an option but I guess really the question with Andrew Vaughn is it seems like the bad is capable but uh where's he going to play what are we going to do because we know Jose Abreu doesn't even like the DH he doesn't like to miss any time
1: yeah it isn't ideal to bring up one of your top prospects and from day one kind of throw him in that DH role um mm-hmm. as we've have we heard from people and you kind of tell you got to get used to and I'm sure he hasn't done a whole lot of DHing, you know, in his upbringing. Vaughn, he's a really interesting case because you have guys like Giolito um say he was one of the toughest guys he faced in that summer camp. I mean, he said I couldn't get him out. Um he's got kind of this um you know, this crazy ability for such a young hitter to, you know, lay off really good pitches, you know, really be disciplined uh, uh Find a way to get you know barrels to the ball, um, just from accounts from from White Sox pitchers. Um, obviously, the the organization is they really like him and, and they, they see him in their long term future. Uh, with that being said, given that he is probably limited to first base. I mean, let's be honest he's not going to be he's not going to play third base. He's not gonna you know he's not going to be a long term option probably at an outfield corner. So he's going to be a first baseman and you know maybe play first once a week where they put Abreu at DH you know we know Abreu doesn't like the DH very often so then the other option is you try to package him in a trade probably for a frontline starting pitcher and I'm sure he would you know teams would be interested in, in him in, the, in a trade but you know then you're talking about maybe giving up on a perennial like 30 home run 300 hitter um, you know there's been numerous scouts and writers that have given him that kind of upside you know 400 on base for versus 500 slug. They've given them that kind of upside. So it's, you know, it's, it's a great guy to have in your lineup and he can probably impact your team even in 2021. But again, he is a right-handed hitter. He is the first baseman. He's not a perfect fit for what they need to add to the lineup. So that does leave that door, you know, that door open for we do need a starting pitcher, so maybe Andrew Vaughn is the best way to get the best possible pitcher for the next couple of years.
0: I've always been a guy who's like, you know, prospects are prospects. You deal them for real players who can help you, but Andrew Vaughn's so close now, and I'll admit, when they drafted him, I was not really on the Vaughn train, um, you know, really at all, because it just seemed like a position that it's hard to get excited about, but even going back to spring training, Luke, He's stuck. I mean, obviously, spring training got cut short, but he's stuck probably longer than they would have anticipated. He's at a position in his in his uh, first spring playing with the major league team, and you'd think that's a little taste, and then you throw him down to get his real reps. He's stuck, and granted, he wasn't getting deep into spring training. He's stuck, and he was getting legit, meaningful at-bats laying games, and I know it's spring training, who cares? But he was doing it, and he was making the most of those at-bats. As So even back then, much less uh, summer camp, and apparently, everything they did in Schaumburg. Uh, this is a guy who, in spite of everything you just laid out about how limited the situations uh, you know are for him with the team here, uh, looking ahead to twenty twenty one, he's going to haunt the White Sox. I, I you know, I, I don't want to see him traded. I don't even you know know what kind of trade will just fall for them where it's like, okay, this is a win win. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I do see it haunting them. Uh, you know, everything about him seems. You know, bright guy. You know, super you know quiet side, but you know, uh, humble, s- s- smart dude, uh, open. Uh, just not the kind of guy I want to see. You know, tra- even Nick Madrigal, who you know I sort of put on the same level. I have back to back first rounders and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's come with the hype and he's and he's held up some of it, but he, he's even shown some cracks with some of the, the base running stuff. I mean, he's admitted and he's great about it, but you know, he's made you know these dumb mistakes and that. It's like, God, uh, you know. Uh, Want oh, to be tough but yeah but you know the sacks are I mean it's a good corner to be painted into but they're sort of painted into a corner here and I and I don't see how you let Jose Abreu play first base six times a week no matter how much he wants to play no matter how great whether he can sustain this defense without super Joe McEwing uh I just don't see how you're gonna only let Vaughn out there you know once I mean I don't know if you gotta almost try to split you know a four or three or something because you're right how do you bring a guy up even getting these valuable reps and, and being in the clubhouse and learning uh, you know uh, at the elbow of Jose Abreu and have him out there on the field you know once a week that's not going to work
1: right and you know we do have Jose Abreu coming off an mvp season but he's not going to be around forever and he's not going to definitely not going to be producing at the level he did in 2020 so the thing is is that you know Abreu or I should say you know maybe Maybe Abreu plays out just this contract. Maybe in the next couple of years he kind of shows that decline and he's on a kind of year-to-year deal. Uh, you know, we don't know how the rest of Abreu's kind of career, White Sox tenure, is going to play out. Um, But, yeah, the thing with Vaughn, like you said, it just seems like he could come up and, and impact right away. I mean, he could be a good player, like rookie of the year type hitter right away. Um mean, given what we got from Edwin Encarnacion as a DH in 2020, you know, just the just penciling him in and having him in the eight spot in the lineup probably, or the seven spot in the lineup. I mean, that's pretty good. So, you know, I think, you know, guys, we have brainstormed as being potential suitor, suitors for Vaughn, like in a trade that could bring back a front light star. You think about like Herman Marquez, maybe from Colorado, or you think of, of Joe Musgrove, but Musgrove's only signed for two seasons. Um, you know, you, you're just trying to find these different options and, and, you're like, how ah, would I really trade Andrew Vaughn for, for him? Or, Luke, you know, it, it, it's an
0: interesting kind of, kind of problem. Vaughn would hit 8,000 homers in 2021 in Coors Field. Oh Lord. Yeah. Imagine if they sent him to the Rockies. Oh my God, I'm getting, right. I'm getting, uh, right. oh, I'm getting but I could also dream
1: on. I could also <laughs> dream on Herman Marquez and his stuff away from Coors Field. That's true. Um, that might, you know, he's had a lot of success as a Rocky, which not a lot of pitchers can say. Yeah. Um, but we don't it's tough because you don't want to play this game of okay, this is our this is our window, right? We're entering our, our, our window of contention. We don't wanna keep just sitting on prospects because they're yeah. long term options. If there's an opportunity to get a starting pitcher that can help you contend for a World Series in the next two, three years more than Bond can. Then you got to think about
0: that. Believe me, Luca, um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I hate myself for saying this. I've never been this kind of guy. Uh, so uh, it just, man, it makes me nervous. But the, yeah, you know the, you know the right deal. Maybe there is a win-win deal that won't right haunt us. Uh, well, let's keep talking. Let's just keep talking, Jose Abreu down because he yeah. seems to listen to all this stuff. So if he hears us talking him down, he's going to come out and be MVP for 162 games and not just yeah. 60, and he's going to go back to back. So that's awesome, Jose. I don't. Pfft, I'm not even, I think she should just be a DH, Jose. I'm sorry, guy. <laughs> what can I say? I'm not a believer. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go behind the plate. Um, another very important position. The White Sox are are strong. Obviously, we're extremely strong. they are going to lose James McCann. That seemingly is a given. Uh, even though in the SB Nation uh, simulation, apparently there were very little, uh, the White Sox would have re him at the price he, he ended up going for, I believe, $8 million a year to new york something ridiculous wow. it's not gonna happen The yankees are gonna pay him 11 billion dollars to be their catcher if no one else you know does there's gonna be probably a number of suitors you luke are a believer in zach collins to the degree of listen the guy just hasn't had his shot um he went down in 2019 came back up uh, got some tutelage from frank uh, menichino who at the time was a nice inning coach came back up um you know, it's always tricky when it's the end of the season because you're wondering necessarily what the strength of competition is, the strength of pitching you're facing is, but was a different hitter. And then, of course, 2020 comes and you've got a season that, you know, you pretty much just have to crumple up and throw away. Um Admittedly, Zach Collins may not be even an average defensive catcher ever, Um, but that said, you think coming out of the gate, he – sort of deserves if nothing else by default that backup catcher slot just to see what he can do maybe first half of the season
1: I do yeah and if you know they want to play the service time game with uh, with Andrew Vaughn I think he look I think he's earned himself at least some DH at bats too I mean the guy had a a 140 uh, WRC plus in AAA in 2019 Um, he had a 403 on base percentage he hit 19 home runs You know, everyone you know wants to call this a bad pick, and it's you know maybe he's not an ideal first round you know top ten type pick, but I think Zach Collins has a lot of good hitting qualities. He's the classic three true outcome home you know home run walk strikeout guy um, that we've seen have some success in the big leagues. People talk about his eye at the plate um, is is elite. You know, it's it's major league quality elite level eye, Um, and that's what allows him to draw you know walk rates between 15 and 20% in the minor leagues. Um, I like that. I would like that at the the bottom of this lineup too, you know, kind of putting him eight or nine, kind of turning that lineup over, I think can be good. In a way, I think he could turn into some version of a Carlos Santana. Remember Santana was originally a catcher too. They figured he couldn't, and he's turned into a gold glove, gold glove level first baseman. I'm not saying that Collins will do that, but, um, with some, with a little bit more strikeouts, I think Collins could be that, you know, that type of power hitter, walks, you know, ultra high level walks, um, type of player. So yeah, I do think he deserves a shot. And when you have a catcher like Rondall, if you're throwing Collins in there, you know, whether it's once every week and a half, you know, I think it's, I think it'll work.
0: If the Rockies front office is listening to you right now and says, you know what, I need to trade. I'm gonna trade Marquez for uh Zach Collins. You're okay with that?
1: Marquez for Zach Collins? Oh yeah, yeah I would do we'll, that. We'll yeah. Okay. yeah, but I'm sure they'll 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 check in on you know guys like uh Vaughn and Kopec for their for their ace pitcher. I'm sure. Hey if Rick Hahn can sell um can sell their GM on Zach Collins straight up for Marquez, I'm all for it. As much hey, as I like Zach Collins, I'm all for it.
0: You're helping. Okay, Colorado is yeah. got an lead eye. Uh, yeah. He could eventually be a gold glove for baseman. spaceman. You don't know.
1: Okay, he go. might
0: hit 60 home runs at course field. Oh my God. 60. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's probably, uh, that's probably basement right there. Yeah. And we're um, getting
1: robo-umps anyway. So who cares about his defense?
0: There you go. Yeah. Framing. Yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. We've managed, even though you pointed out early on, uh, rotation is being really the part. Well, I think it's obvious. That's uh No great Luke Smales insight here to say rotation is where we really need to target because we basically have two-fifths of of a rotation heading into 2021 with some asterisked guys, young arms, maybe one of which we can reliably depend on being a guy who could be, let's say, average major league starter. That still leaves us a good two spots to fill, if not potentially a third. Kopech coming back is not going to jump right back in both feet. I think you've said Dane Dunning's a guy who probably has the inside track among Cease, Kopech, uh, uh, Lopez, uh, ad infinitum. Um, You know, okay, so let's just say Dunning's your fifth. That means we got a a third and fourth starter. Uh, uh, Gausman was a guy that I think uh, you really were excited about. I think uh, San Francisco – if, you know, he, he did the qualifying offer. If not, they were probably going to maybe even try to lock him up given their rebuilding. I think they really are hyped on him the way you were. Um, where are the Sox turn now? One area we agreed in both your off-season plan and the SBN simulation, not a top target, but to, to target Jose Quintana as a guy who is your fourth, fifth starter, money that's not going to be crazy, familiarity he has with the White Sox, I imagine – there's still some fondness for the South side, if for no other reason that he had his greatest success with the White Sox. Um, that seems like a situation that's just made to happen, not just because the ones that White Sox can then say, we have Jimenez, Cease, and Quintana from the Jose Quintana trade, um, but – Tell us a little bit more about why Quintana is a guy who isn't just a, a, a Zeal Gonzalez from say a year ago. Of all right, you got to throw somebody. Might as well have him be a southpaw. Let's just give him the fifth spot and see what he does with it. But that there's some real uh, excitement that we could have him uh, coming on, say as a say as a fourth starter.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of Sox fans remember those Quintana years on the south side, and you know they have fond memories of that. He was a really good pitcher here. Um, and that's why the Cubs were willing to trade so much for him. Um, things didn't work out with the Cubs. Um, but I think, you know, he has a track record of health. He's, he's been really solid. There are some kind of red flags that would make me think, okay, we're not going to give him a super long-term deal. His fastball velos down a little bit. Um, he's never been a high velo guy anyway. He's, he's kind of survived on command. Um, but yeah, I just think as a, as a fourth or fifth starter, he's a guy, um, that, would fit in very well. We just kind of need guys that are reliable. And when I think Jose Quintana, I think reliable, you you know, you're not going to bring him in to necessarily be a Cy Young candidate or be a one-two on your staff, but he's going to be a guy who's going to, you know, keep the ball in the park. He's going to roll ground balls. He's going to throw a lot of strikes. And when you have like Kopech and Cease and some young guys who maybe don't fit that bill quite the same, I think Quintana is kind of a nice thing to or be a nice guy to even things out and Um, kind of provide more stability to the rotation that we clearly did not have in 2020. With that being said, it would be ideal to have him be the second free agent signing for a starting pitcher than be pencil him as the number three. I'd like him more as the number four.
0: And the difference in him, or or, or let's highlight a key difference than perhaps what Gonzalez ended up doing, not what he promised to bring because he was a guy I was excited to get. I was willing to spend more in, in prior off seasons. I thought he just had, sort of the the mark of winter it was just a frustrating season for him I don't know if it was just injury or if he really has hit his wall and and that career we're going to see being real short from here but he just couldn't hit the plate uh with Jose Quintana you're going to feel uh, we never really know of course but uh Jose is a guy that you're confident is at least going to be able to throw strikes and which was something Gonzalez couldn't do in a very small sample size last year
1: yeah um What I will say with Gonzalez, too, is when they signed him, I think they were counting on him pitching in April and May, maybe when Carlos Rodon was out. And then when the season got kind of pushed back and they penciled Rodon back in, I think they put him in kind of a weird, like, you're going to be our swingman, but okay, Ronaldo Lopez gets hurt right away. So just kidding. Now you're going to be a starter. Um, So maybe they didn't put him in the best, maybe, mental situation on kind of what his role was. And he'd never kind of. He's always been a starter. He's always been given the ball and said, you're going to pitch every fifth day, but yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't throw strikes. His command was bad. His, his stuff wasn't good. He's always been a guy who's kind of lived on his changeup and and off speed stuff. And when you can't get those, when you can't get whiffs on those pitches, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a long season. So yeah, that obviously didn't work out. It was clearly destiny that Gio Gonzalez was never supposed to appear in a white sock uniform. Um, But yeah, Quintana, I don't think there's any, as long as he's healthy, and like I said, he has a track record of health. I don't think Quintana would put up anything close to what we saw from Giovanni. Yeah, well.
0: Giovanni was put in a tough situation because I remember early on, I think even to summer camp, the question was asked of him of whether he could play, you know, c- could come out of the pen if needed. And I don't think it was a matter of him saying he just didn't want to be a team player. He's like, my shoulder can't take. I can't, you know, he, he was saying essentially in the bullpen, he'd have to almost be treated as a starter in terms of the rest he'd need. Um, and not just because, oh, hey, I've never done this before. I mean, I, he, he's done in the, in the postseason and so forth. And then I remember when he came back, um, after, I guess, injury, when he, when he strained the groin or whatnot, and he talked before Ricky and, and I think I asked him right off, okay, so are you coming back? I think everybody assumed he was going to come in and fill in fifth starter role maybe for the last couple of seasons. I think maybe that was where Stever maybe came in and started. But anyway, yeah, he was just like, no, I can't answer, you know don't ask me. And I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't pissed and rude about it. He's just like, obviously he had gotten the news that he wasn't going to be started. Couldn't break that news. And, you know, was, was disappointed, frustrated. He never really did, I guess, get the fair shot. And, and, and a team that's pushing for the playoffs isn't supposed to just trot a guy out who, who, who hasn't proven he can get the ball over the plate. But, uh, yeah, frustrating all around. As you say, maybe it would have been best as much as he joked and had fun with the fact that he actually finally get to, got to start for the White Sox. And yeah, maybe it would have been best and never did because this was really the one awful year of his career. And and if he goes on and continues to pitch well, you know, even, you know, maybe to, to, to 40, he's going to look at this as the strangest speed bump he ever had to go through.
1: Yeah, and I think there were some positives um, off the field maybe for Gio Gonzalez. I think there were some young pitchers that really gravitated towards him, and they've been they've been kind of vocal in saying that he was a, a great veteran presence to have in the clubhouse. But yeah, things on the field just didn't didn't go his way, and whether that was you know them not necessarily being fair to him in terms of his role, uh, we'll kind of see. But yeah, where he kind of goes in his career, I mean, he's probably a minor league deal type of guy after the 2020 season. So. Um, yeah, seemed like a great guy, great guy to have in the clubhouse, but it just didn't work out for him. Yeah.
0: To tell you where Baltimore thinks they are, at least in the SB and Sim aspect of things, they signed Gio Gonzalez for my league deal, and they had him as their number five starter going into the season. So okay. not, not a lot of really uh, uh, high yeah. hopes for Baltimore for 2021, at least SBN-wise. Uh, okay, so um, the elephant and gorilla and um, uh, uh, sexist, Uh, In the room um, would be the one guy who seems – the only guy who seems to really be out there as a free agent. Um, Is Trevor Bauer an option for this team? And despite being a Cy Young Award winner, is he a good fit for this team? Knowing who Trevor Bauer is, good and bad, but knowing who he is, can he be a good fit for this team?
1: It, Brad, this is just so crazy like we have the storyline of like COVID-19 Tony La Russa, and our the two top free agents carry these storylines with them that it's like can't we just can't there just be a good player that we can sign that we can just say hey you're gonna play baseball and that's it you know it was gonna
0: be a big window Luke they never said it was gonna yeah. be an easy window
1: yeah I mean here's the thing Bauer comes with all the off you know the unfavorable off the field stuff but you know, from a, if, if we could just zero in on his on the field stuff, and I know that's not, that's not realistic. That's not, when you employ someone, that's not how things go. But if you added him to the rotation from just an on the field standpoint, he probably makes the White Sox, the American league favorite. Um That's at least I think so. Does that make it worth it to sign him? You know, that's up to the White Sox to decide that. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I don't really want to get into all the stuff and go into detail about stuff. It's not, it's not good. I mean, no. we can say that, but, um, he's just his on the field stuff is, is lights out. I mean, I think he would, he would, might push this team over the top, um, in the improvements he's made and the kind of the data driven stuff he, he's bought into. And, um, you know, he, he was a Cy Young caliber pitcher and there's not always an opportunity on the free agent market to, to add someone like that. And then he's got this weird dynamic about what's he going to do with his contract? Is he going to sign a one-year deal? Is he going to, you know, say, no, nah, that's not realistic and sign a six or seven-year deal. You know, what's that whole dynamic? And his agent is also very vocal on Twitter and shooting down contract proposals and
0: is he just chuck a whole a can of worms. Or the center field fence. Is he going right, to play right. with a drone? Is he going to take right. up another a weird high? Is he going to start golfing and and yeah. beating people yeah. up on a golf course? Right. You wish with Trevor Bauer and listen, I, you know, I make no bones about the fact I don't want anything to do with the guy. Although you're outlining reasons, you know, you know, that there need to be considered mm-hmm. what I wish, you know, you know, penny whistles and daydreams. What I wish is this is a guy that we we're talking about, you know, back in 2016 when he bullied all those women online or in whatever, you know, whatever, when he cut his hand off with a drone. I wish we were just talking about it being in the past. I understand that he's probably on the Trevor Bauer scale. He's improved. I don't know that for sure, but I, it seems like he's not as goofy a monster as he once was. But I wish we could just talk about that being a thing like, now nah, he's off Twitter. We don't have to worry about it. He's off Twitter. So if he's a hateful, ugly person, we might not know. And, and he could actually be a good teammate, and he'll take guys I didn't even lane. see that. He is off Twitter. No, I was saying, I mean, if we, if we could say that now, oh, like, oh, oh, like, you oh, know, he oh. made this decision or, you know, uh, um, you know, you hate to bring up, you know, other guys, but you know, uh, uh, you know, Hader and Milwaukee's maybe one, and, you know, there's other guys where we should could say, all right, that was phase one. He was younger. He was, you know, crazy. He was, you know, whatever. But now we're in this other phase where he's trying to be better. He said he wants to be a leader, et cetera. If that was clearly the case, I might even be willing to say, all right, let's think about it. Still probably not excited about it, but let's think about it. The idea that you, you just don't know is like, oh, my God, it's like it's like you are bringing a bomb into the in into the clubhouse. And, you know, some great results could come out of that. But well, you just don't know when it's going to go off. And even if it goes off in year five, well, as we found out, Tony Russo, he's, you know, he's an old man. But, you know, that when the bomb yeah. blows up, it can, you know, it's going to cause some damage and then right. the fans are going to howl. So, right. I mean, yeah, you're right. You, you put it very well to say, man, the two free agents, the two guys that would be just ideal to slide, we got the money. Apparently, someone's decided that Jerry Rinesworth, because he hired his buddy, is not going to spend a ton of money. I'll believe it when I see it, but, I mean, okay, it's perfect. It's all coming together. The solar eclipse of the White Sox being World Series champion <laughs> in 2021 uh, is happening, but no. Now we got to have these two guys where we got to do extensive background checks. We got to talk to every guy in the locker room three times in Spanish uh, to see if uh these guys can fit. And the problem is that there's not a there's not a one A, you know, there's not a one with bauer with uh, with Stro-
1: with Strowman and Gossman off the market. Exactly. That, just, that only helps his. That only helps oh, his market. Lord.
0: Yeah, and he'll probably just ignore that, right? Uh, Is there, that said, uh, you've already outlined a a possible trade target in Colorado. Are there trade targets or maybe reasonable free agents that just obviously aren't going to knock us out? We've already talked about Quintana being a guy who fits more, you know, four or five, a guy that you're not going to put too much hope on, who might even get beat out for the rotation of Kopech goes bananas and and cease, you know, can throw strikes, et cetera. Um, but a guy that you can count and say, okay, you are in the rotation. Are there any guys beyond Bauer that you feel comfortable trying to angle for a deal for that won't cost the whole farm? Um, not that we care. Uh, or, you know, worthy free agent money in your eyes.
1: There's a lot of question marks as a lot of times with free agent pitchers, you know, guys coming off injury where it's like, you know, James Paxton or there's like Garrett Richards, Tylon Walker. There's those guys that aren't really going to excite you. But what I what I will say that's gonna dictate a lot about what the Sox do with free agent starting pitchers with free agent starting pitchers, excuse me, is how they view Dylan Cease and how new pitching coach Alex Katz views Dylan Cease in terms of what he thinks he can do with him. Um Cease is a guy, and I know I'm kinda getting off topic from your question here, but I think Cease has a lot to do with what they do. Um Cease cease has a fastball problem he, he throws 98 miles an hour and he has a fastball problem and I know those <laughs> things, I know that doesn't necessarily make sense to a lot of people but if I can go in depth for a second he um, his spin efficiency there's a term for you his spin efficiency is so bad on his fastball that it doesn't create vertical movement mm-hmm. so he has a flat 98 mile an hour fastball um, and he unintentionally cuts it it's called inadvertent cut. So it makes that pitch very hittable. Um, And that's why when you combine that with command issues and um, inconsistent secondaries, that's why you get a 2020 Dylan Cease season, even with such a hard fastball. So if Katz thinks he can do something with that and fix that fastball, you have the scenario where Dylan Cease pops and he's a a very good starting pitcher, the starting pitcher they thought they were going to trade for. So if he's confident he can do that, then you may be able to pencil in Dylan Cease. Otherwise, you're kind of grasping at straws and trying to find a guy like a James Paxton who I think had um i don't think it was Tommy John but like a major shoulder surgery maybe last year um you know you're looking at guys like um you know Garrett Richards who's never been anything great I mean maybe he's a good rotation filler Taiwan Walker had a good couple of months in twenty twenty um so nothing i mean you know there's Tanaka you know. It doesn't seem – and the thing about Tanaka is it doesn't seem like Yankee fans are too crazy about bringing him back. So, you know, he's been a consistent pitcher, so maybe that's an option you think is a solid number three that can be on a contending team. Um, So we'll have – you know, we'll have to see. Um, but, yeah, no, nothing really excites me. On the trade front, Yeah, you know, Mar- uh, Herman, Marquez and Joe Musgrove are the guys that stand out to me, but, again, they're not going to come cheap.
0: Yeah, and the White Sox are, are 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 deep. You could argue there are upwards of half a dozen at least names that are going to be vying for rotation spots, but none of them come with a track record. They're going to make you feel confident on a team that has its aim at a pennant in 2021. You just can't be filling out even probably two slots, even if Cease, you know, does click. And that that's asking a lot of Ethan Katz. It's asking a lot of Dylan Cease um to to write off even though there's a ton of run up to the season in, in theory if everything you know goes as normal uh it's going to be a real challenge to have him click that quickly and stay consistent mm-hmm. enough to consider him say a 3 4 because he has certainly not been that in his career and i think he's had about a season's worth of starts now in in 19 and 20 um and it's a, it's a frustrating situation because this is a big this is a big weakness for the White Sox even though they have a ton of arms and and a guy like uh, Kopech is somebody who's gonna you know presumably come back and be able to you know contribute but we don't we don't know that either so it's going to be tough to stand pat and you know it's it's frustrating I wish that you had uh maybe (laughs) one other name for us to be able to pursue because it really seems like it's almost all or nothing and going into the season with two starters is is not going to be a comfortable situation
1: yeah I um one one trade I outlined before I kind of proposed the, um, the Gossman signing was looking at a at a trade where the Sox would get uh, Brandon Nimmo actually. Um, and I know we were talking about starting pitchers, but relating to kind of Musgrove um, and an avenue where they could spend on a starting pitcher that was Gossman or uh, Strowman was a guy like um, Brandon Nimmo in the outfield. And that would actually be a trade where, um, it'd be a three team deal between the Mets and the Pirates and the White Sox and where Nimmo would go from the, from the Mets to the Sox and then the, the Mets would actually get Musgrove. Um, so that was kind of an avenue where Nimmo making, you know, cheap. I think he's projected an arbitration like two to three million. That was just an avenue to open up, um, you know, major spending for a starting pitcher. Um, as for Kopek, yeah, he's he's another wild card. Um you don't know what you're gonna get at not having pitched since August twenty eighteen. Everyone kinda still raves, he still has the you know, explosive fastball, he's got the good changeup and and good slider as well, but you just kinda don't know and it's almost a situation where you're gonna have to start him in triple A just to get him reps. Um there's And then, you know, there's Dunning who showed some good stuff, but then he showed some, some struggles. I mean, he had, I think, good starts against Detroit and Kansas City, but, you know, you don't know how that's going to stack up. Mm-hmm. He has good stuff. He has good control. Um, but, you know, you just don't know, and you don't want to have so many certainties in a season where you think you can compete. So that's why I think the scenario where I say, okay, we get two starting pitchers, and then that fifth spot can kind of be reserved for, You know Dunning, Kopech, Cease. Um, You know we haven't talked about Ronaldo Lopez, but maybe, maybe Alex Katz has a solution for him too. You never know. Um, I personally think he's more of a bullpen guy at this point, but and then you have Garrett Crochet. You know maybe from what we saw from Garrett Crochet in 2020, you know whatever role they give him early in the season, I don't think it's out of the question that he's pitching in a larger role, maybe even in the rotation by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's a guy I think you pencil into the rotation for 2022, but it does sound like just uh, in terms of innings management, uh, you know, he's going to be in the minors and start, and then maybe come up in some of that uh, um, stopper type of role, maybe maybe tuning role out out of the pen to sort of give him more of that time and maybe perhaps aid a a push for the pennant in 2021. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, just to touch on him just for a second Mm -hmm. too, um, I did find so. In um, the piece that I talked about, one of the I think the first piece I wrote for um, Southside Hitpen where I addressed Evan Marshall and Jimmy Cordero and kind of um, I talked about my metric expected run value. Um, Garrett Crochet, if you only look at, at a minimum of 50 pitches, Garrett Crochet's fastball was the best pitch in baseball in 2020 in terms of expected run value. Um, when you sit at 100 miles an hour with that kind of spin and vertical movement, um, and don't even consider the amount of deception he has in his delivery, I mean. I think, I don't think that was really talked about enough from what we saw from Garrett Crochet. I mean, he was a rolled as Chapman. I mean, and I know that game three in Oakland, his kind of injury kind of derailed the whole thing, but he was, I mean, when I watched him that first game in Cincinnati, I was at, my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect that. And I don't think anybody expected that um, from Crochet. And I think, He's very, very exciting to see what he turns into as a starting pitcher. But at the worst, you have a a role as Chapman, like Josh Hader type in the back end of your pen.
0: I think think about that, Luke. You're you're a guy who's, you know, a fan, a smart fan, a player, um, uh, not jaded by any stretch, but not expecting this. And you're looking at these games probably with an eye toward, okay, how what can I break down? What trends am I seeing? What am I going to be able to write about this guy? And yeah, your first impression and your impression throughout the appearance is jaw on the ground. That is, I, I can't think of that many moments I've had as a fan and I've been a fan sadly enough, longer than you, but it just, it doesn't happen. It's Frank Thomas coming up in in 1990 and uh, scaring the heck out of people and you cannot not watch the Mm -hmm. at-bat. And so much of it is manufactured, you know, Diane Visiedo came up and I wanted to say, Oh man, those are Frank Thomas at-bats. Okay. For maybe about a series or a game, maybe it was. Um, But Garrett Crochet, at least until the, the soreness that took him out of the playoffs and this very, very small cup of coffee he had, there, there was no, There was no hype there. It was all real, and uh, holy cow, is he going to be fun to watch at whatever level uh, he's at in 2021, my goodness.
1: Yeah, he – and, boy, was it scary when he – you know, your mind's racing in that game three, you're nervous, and he goes down and they're saying forearm strain, and you're like, oh, my God, Tommy John. You know, I thought it was a foregone conclusion. Um, So that's very good to see that it wasn't Tommy John. It looked like it was a situation where they ramped him up maybe too quick um you know we could get there we could do a whole podcast on rick renneria's game three strategy in oakland um maybe part of the reason why he's not still employed yeah. by the team um but yeah crochet and it'll be interesting to see what they do with him this year i think him following kind of the sale track the chris sale track i think might be a good idea let him kind of work as a multi inning reliever out of the bullpen here in 2021 um see where the rotation is um and then you know, like I said, you never know. Maybe he, you think he's ready to, to take a starting, starting role by the end of the, towards the end of the season. So just a, you know, a great pick. Um, I think he could end up being the steal of the draft already. Um, because I think people watching him, they just missed, they missed a lot. Like teams picking ahead of the White Sox did not see that. And that's why we didn't see it coming too, right? We're like, how yeah. can you beat that guy in the 11th pick?
0: yes i mean i'll admit i failed i was like what is this what a guy who's been hurt hardly pit well yeah we didn't know he had 100 in his back pocket yeah. it looked like he was just chucking a um i was chucking a 16 inch softball he was just throwing yeah. a wiffle ball i was
1: expecting like 95 to 97 and then he came in and i'm like oh the gun is the radar gun not
0: I mean, why is it saying he's throwing 102? And and how <laughs> how sweet was it where he's like, yeah, I was never the guy who threw. I mean, one of his very brief and few uh p- post game sessions was, yeah, I was never the guy who threw the hardest. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, but this he timed it really well. It's certainly better to be doing right. in and, the and major I, leagues than when you're 12 in little league. Yeah.
1: Right. And my feeling too was like, okay, they're bringing him up, and I'm like, oh, you're really putting this kid in a tough situation. Like, is he ready for this? And then, you know, we don't really know. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he was doing in Schomburg wasn't public. Right. And then you watch that first inning he pitched in Cincinnati, and you're like, oh, that's why he's here. He's throwing 101 miles an hour, um, and he has, you know, a slider and a changeup that he didn't even have to use in the bullpen. But the first he threw it a couple of times, and you're like, okay, wow.
0: It's like White Sox. You couldn't have just tweeted a little sort of like anonymous, just like frightening crack of the uh, catcher's glove to, to hype yeah. this up. Man, you missed a social media opportunity here. because, <laughs> Holy, cr- man. Yeah, because yeah. you're exactly right. We didn't know what was going on in Schaumburg. Oh, yeah, he pitched. You know, he was he was hitting his spots, so and we think he's ready. I mean, I know you got to play it uh, close to the vest, and you never know what's going to happen. But, mm-hmm. man, oh, man. Yeah. machine. Isn't it going to be exciting? Among all the great things we got to look forward to in potentially a normal 2021 season is getting a chance to to read Luke's mails. Some of the analysis he does is going to knock your socks off. He's touched on it already uh, for Southside Hip Pen at Sports Illustrated. It's been great stuff to read, but to have something that's not a sample size or speculative or not a sample size of a uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 game season is going to be terrific. And I am really looking forward to that uh, from you, Luke. And we're going to definitely have to do some more podcasting as well. Thank you for doing a little hot stove primer it's somehow for some reason just hasn't seemed to have come up it's got like swept under the rug because of I don't know some other White Sox news or something going on so I'm glad we could um, the important stuff the exciting stuff the crucial stuff oh I don't know beyond the manager of the team whose window of contention is opening uh, was something we got to address here today and I appreciate you doing it with me.
1: Yeah the last thing I'll say is if the league wants to uh, see the stove heat up Maybe they should think about uh, finalizing what they're going to do with the DH rules in the minor leagues. I think that may tend to speed things up with certain players' markets and certain teams um, starting to act. So that maybe might be a good idea for their first act of business here as we get uh, closer to December.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, we got Rule 5 coming up. Obviously, this time a year ago, we were all excited because Yasmani Grandal had just been signed by the White Sox, so it's not too early to make signings. Rick Hahn, come on. We know you're listening. Get on the horn. Let's let's have something happen so we can be excited running into 2021 with so many unknowns and, and so much difficulty out there in the world. It'd be fun to have something exciting to talk about, not controversial to talk about in terms of a White Sox acquisition. So fingers crossed. I think Luke deciding to finally come on the podcast. I think that's gonna that's gonna break the ice. I think we're gonna have some good news uh coming soon. So uh that's that's the story. I'm gonna stick to it. But uh thanks for hopping on and, and let's do this again soon, Luke.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'll have to hopefully we'll have more news to talk about. And uh thanks for having me on and
0: thanks for the kind words about my work. I appreciate it. Thanks everybody for tuning in on this extended and delightful and delicious Southside Sox podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. We'll have another one coming at you uh, as soon as possible.